This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome to this week's Liverpool.com podcast. I am Dan Morgan. I am joined by Liverpool.com's Joel Rabinovitz and Blood Red's Guy Clark making his Liverpool.com debut. How are you feeling, Guy? Trepidatious? Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's nervy times. I know everyone's been waiting for Ben Davis to make his Liverpool bow, but I think there's been a bit of uh, rumbling behind the scenes about Guy Clark appearing on on Liverpool.com. Now I'm yeah. I'm delighted to uh, to be on with you guys. Oh, what a man! What a man! Uh, hope you're all good, lads. Anyway, we've got uh, a podcast which f- follows on immediately from a Liverpool win, which in itself is a rarity these days. Um, but to uh, to discuss that, we will we will delve into Liverpool uh, beating Leipzig two 0 in Hungary in the Champions League last sixteen last night, and we'll have a little look into what it all could mean for the forthcoming game at the weekend, the Merseyside derby, and for the rest of the season. Uh, just want to start with you, Joel. Um, we're we're covering the game today or the aftermath of the game on Liverpool.com, and. Yeah, it was one in which you didn't work last night, but obviously you've, we've had a little chat about it this morning and stuff. And what, what impressed me the most, I guess, was Liverpool's willingness to earn the right to to play in the game and, and earn the right to to grow in the game. And I think you know it's it's funny when confidence is fragile. You see this this sort of thing become much more highlighted that. You know, games are often defined by small moments and small margins and things that most of the time don't happen as opposed to things that do. You know, a big thing that sticks in my mind from the other week is is Son's goal for Tottenham against Liverpool in the first two minutes, not counting, you know, if that goes in. You don't really want to see the sliding doors of that if it takes shape. But yeah, I think what, what I'm getting to is that last night you get to see, you know, Liverpool ride an early storm, if you like, by Leipzig hitting a post and putting on a really high press but then after that, you just see, you just see the the sort of demons leaving Liverpool, and they grow and they grow and they grow in the game, and they impose themselves in their game plan to the point in which they get a really good result. Yeah, the one you mentioned there of hitting the post was was a massive moment, really, because you, you sort of feel if that had gone in. Um, I'm not quite sure when that was, but it felt pretty early on. I think sort of first 15 minutes, um, it, it would be such a heavy blow off the back of the way the Leicester game ended. Um, and it doesn't, and they just get the bounce this time. And like you said, reaching some point around the 20, 25-minute mark, they really started to kind of click into gear. The passing was sharp. The movement was good. Um, you could see that it was much more like the kind of Liverpool that we know. I actually thought there wasn't a huge amount of difference um, in the first-half performances between yesterday and Leicester, um, and then you got to half-time. And I was slightly frustrated because I think as good as Liverpool had been, um, I don't think they were... Uh, my worry was that they weren't ruthless enough in punishing Leipzig for the amount of times they were losing the ball in the final third. And you thought, given how good a team they are and where they are in the Bundesliga and their form coming into it, at some point Leipzig would get chances and would grow into the game. And you felt like Liverpool, while they're on top, had to kind of make it count. And the fact they didn't have anything to show for it on the scoreline, given how things have panned out in recent weeks, I think it's only natural that you felt a little bit sort of nervous going into the second half. And you know, we speak about moments and, and how turning points in games and it's 55 seconds into the second half there when one of the very few chances Leipzig do get a really good one uh, when it's Olmo who plays in, I think it's Nkunku who runs in behind Henderson. Um, one of the really few occasions when you see why Henderson isn't really a centre-back, he gets caught wrong side there. And yeah, that was a huge moment with Alisson um, off the back of the last couple of performances. Um, 
I wrote a piece about it this morning, but he makes it look really simple for save. But there's, there's so many elements there. His starting position, he doesn't go to ground quickly. He gives and can a decision to make. And really, from then on, that's the platform for Liverpool to go on and win the game. If Leipzig come out and score within a minute of a second half after how well Liverpool played, you could quite easily see a scenario where their heads go and another goal goes in quickly after that and it all starts to unravel. But as it is, like you said, turning point, he makes the save, it stays nil-nil and it's just so controlled from there on in. And I know there's the late Leipzig chance, I think it's Huang, um, with about 20 seconds to go, it just goes past the post. But other than that, Liverpool was so in control after, after taking the lead, it didn't really feel like they were going to give it up. Do you think, Guy, that, that Leipzig and, and Nagelsmann in particular maybe got the approach a little bit wrong in that it felt very much to me like they smelled blood and it felt very much to me like they they wanted to plant an early seed of doubt into Liverpool, get themselves in front early and see how Liverpool reacted. Um, looking back now, hindsight's a wonderful thing. By God, we've used it over the last few weeks. But was there a, was there a, better, a better plan in sort of sitting tight in the game and not imposing yourself as much, you know, what what all of what Leipzig did in trying to press Liverpool, they left some horrendous gaps in behind, and it, it was the type of game that you know Mohamed Salah and, and Sadio Mane have, have been have been craving for weeks. So it, it was one in which I think Nagelsmann will, will will be licking his wounds a little bit today. Yeah, I think he probably tried to be a bit too smart, didn't he? Um, I know in the press conference before the game, Jurgen Klopp was kind of asked about it and. Listening to to radio, reading pieces online in the build up to yesterday's game, I, I was hearing a lot sort of how Leipzig were now the favourites for the game, and I get Liverpool have this long injury list, but I think that only sort of lulled Leipzig into sort of a full sense of security. Yes, Liverpool have injuries, but I think it goes back to the thing of when you're in bad form, write down your best or a manager writes down his best eleven players at the beginning of a season when things are going wrong, revert back to that as much as you can. And I think that's what we saw from Liverpool. I know we're going to get on to sort of the, the state of the squad anyway, but I think it was pretty much the, the strongest team Jurgen Klopp could have played, the front three all there. And the way that Leipzig then approached it and obviously did open the game up, as you say, it, it sort of led to exactly what Salah and Mane in particular have wanted. And even Firmino, and I think a, a big point on sort of the sliding doors that Liverpool have been facing, you think recent games, Origi hitting the bar against Burnley, Mane heading over against Manchester City. I think the big thing for Liverpool has been able to get leads in games or break teams down sort of before that kind of 65-minute mark. And obviously, and I think one thing as well was even if in that first half, thinking of the one where Salah nicked the ball back on the halfway line, Liverpool scored down the right and Mane headed over from the, the stood-up cross that time. But Klopp immediately outstanding. He's sort of being Liverpool's cheerleader, not letting sort of that anxiety creep into the performance. And I think I think that sort of helped then in the second half. You're beginning to see more confidence and a lot of people have referenced it. I think quite a lot with the goals, Liverpool forced those errors. They built the pressure onto Leipzig and eventually they couldn't cope with seeing them a bit shaky defensively and it was only a matter of time really until the, the mistakes were punished. Yeah, Joel, it's, guys just touched on it there. I mean, you can have no arguments with the Liverpool team that goes out last night. It's the same side effectively once Thiago comes on for Milner against Leicester um, and does does well for the majority of that game. There's two things here. You know, I think it's, I think it's helped Liverpool having Leicester before this game. I think they were able to sort of set the same type of traps. Um, you stop the ball, 
get him into the midline areas, therefore you stop it into the forward areas. Liverpool have always done that with, with the likes of Vardy and Madison. Um, and you've really seen how, how much of an, an impact it has on Upper Meccano last night and, and the other centre-backs, to be fair, but him in particular looked like he really, really struggled. Yeah, the game plan was, was kind of quite a few parallels, I thought. Um, there was a moment in the first half against Leicester, very similar to the goals Liverpool did score last night, where I think it was Henderson who played Salah in over the top. And I think Mane had one as well. Um, but they were looking for that that running behind. And yeah, as, as Guy mentioned, it comes from mistakes, but they're, they're forced mistakes. Um, and I think that has been one of the most pleasing aspects of the last two games. I know the outcome of a Leicester one was horrendous in the end, but the press that has over the last six weeks just looked so lethargic and lifeless, really, at times. Um, it's been so far away from what we've come to expect from this team. That has been very much evident in the last couple. Um, and you're right to reference the, the style of play that Leipzig kind of tried to kind of stick to, um, regardless of Liverpool's strengths. It does play into to what we want, giving space in behind like that. But I think Liverpool, they were ruthless in the end last night. It did take a while um, to finally take advantage of those chances. The amount of times in the first half, I thought, where it's not that they're creating tons of really clear-cut opportunities against teams, but they're getting into positions where they're one pass away from a really clear-cut chance. And that was frustrating to watch at times in the first half, but they, what they didn't do is, is let their heads drop and kind of get frustrated by it themselves. And they kept doing the same things. And eventually when they came through, I always like watching those goals when you've got five or six seconds of the player running through one-on-one and you're just waiting for them to score. And I think in terms of if we're talking about confidence and morale, the fact that Mane and Salah are putting those away um, so emphatically is, is really pleasing to see as well. Um, and I, I know we'll come on to talk about this now, but I think if we are looking at one slightly concerning thing about the game yesterday, it was the fact that if they didn't get that opening goal when they did, there wasn't really much else they could have done on, on the bench to change it. As it was, it was ideal making the two subs when you're 2 up just to kind of save legs and, and see the game out. But I think if it had gone on much longer than it did before making the breakthrough, you're looking around at the options there, scratching around about how they would go up a gear. Um, but as it happens, they, they got the goals when they did and the changes I thought actually worked quite well when they came on. Yeah, Guy, I mean, I want to just touch on Liverpool's bench. It's overlooked because they get the results and, and obviously it's a thing that often dominates if any time pre-match. But the bench last night is... It, it's... It's difficult to look at in many ways and it, and it emphasises the, the problems Liverpool have got in terms of the, the injuries to the squad. You know, the, the fact that you've got basically three or four players on there who are still classed as academy graduates. You know, you've got two goalkeepers on there. And yeah, there's an increase in, in, in substitutes you can make in Champions League games. But at the same time, you know, if Liverpool were coming up with a against a wealthier squad, the likes of Bayern Munich or Paris Saint-Germain, you know, that, that would put them at a distinct disadvantage. I, I just want to highlight this by, I wrote it on Liverpool.com this morning, but, you know, if you go back to Jürgen Klopp's first season in the Champions League with Liverpool, when Liverpool faced Porto in the last 16, uh, the bench that night for this this current, this sort of tie that, that falls in with this would be Joe Gomez, Alberto Moreno, Adam Lallana, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Simon Mignolet, Danny Ings and Joel Matip. Now, you take that bench over the bench last night and again, it's not to dig out kids. It's just to highlight the fact that Liverpool have had a huge problem and continue to have a huge problem with the squad and, and just getting players that they can they can have as viable options from the bench over the course of a game. 
Yeah, I think the, the, the list you reel off there are, are pretty much all, or have all had international caps, have they not? I don't know specifically if Moreno did. Yeah, I'm not sure um, about Moreno, yeah. Yeah, I think Moreno's probably the, the only one maybe who hasn't, but yeah. He's it's played a, the Spain guy. He has, he has. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't sure if he had. Um, yeah. So yeah, so he he's got international caps as well. So yeah, it just shows sort of the the difference. And you talk about the bench from from even last night. Of course, Davis is on there, a defender who's not yet played for the club, along with academy graduates. It's it is sort of just. I mean, it, it sends you back to sort of October November time, doesn't it? When the injuries first set in, and Jurgen Klopp was saying the Premier League should be looking to introduce five substitutes, and that through player welfare, not because I've got a deep squad with which I can then cause havoc to teams later on in games. And and now it's it's that sort of comment he's come, he, he said sort of coming home to roost now. And it, you're looking at the Liverpool squad. And I was thinking it yesterday actually when the changes were being made, thinking I'm surprised Leipzig, I think they had Justin Cliver on the bench. I know he's not been playing an awful lot for them. He's a highly rated player. They they have some sort of dangerous weapons on there. And I thought, well, you, you're actually looking at the Leipzig bench, albeit I was fairly confident Liverpool would be able to win this game, but thinking they can do more damage off the bench than what Liverpool can. I mean, Origi's just a complete ongoing enigma when he's, he's not playing or he's injured. You sort of think, oh, is there a player in there? Could he come on and, and, and one day do something in a game? And then the reality happens and he comes off the bench and you think, no, of course he can't because he just doesn't sort of seem to to be at those levels. His confidence seems shot. But I think it's I think it's a huge point um, when you now look at uh, Liverpool's injury list and how many of them that are lengthy, that if they are going to go deep into this competition, it is, it is effectively going to have to be 14 players that are going to be used through now into securing qualification for the Champions League and the Premier League, which I don't think is going to be sort of an easy task either. Liverpool, of course, now in, in sixth place, as well as a Champions League assault, it is going to be a real, real difficult uh, thing for Liverpool. And I don't think it's fair to sort of be expecting your likes of Leighton Clarkson or Jake Kane midfielders to come in and even do what, what Curtis Jones has done. We've seen so much sort of praise for him through the course of this season, but he's effectively been in and around the first team picture now for 18 months and is beginning to flourish off the back of however many games he's played this season. I was looking at it yesterday. I think he's played 41 times for the first team now. And you're looking at him thinking what a terrific prospect he's become, but he's still in that sort of inexperienced category, untried and untested, albeit. He's not let anybody down this season. And I suppose he's sort of the, the shining light for Jurgen Klopp within all of this injury crisis that actually he may well have had a, had a coming of age there of Curtis Jones. And I know a lot of people were talking about Kylian Mbappe last night in the Champions League, but I think just as impressive in that Liverpool midfield was Jones and just the, the maturity with which he plays. He's obviously come through as a attacking player in the youth ranks, but it's that positional discipline as well as that determination and those intangible qualities that you can't really sort of test or, or merit within a player until you do see it on a consistent basis and and thankfully he's he's proving that it, it's almost unfair guy to have the likes of Clarkson and Kane on the bench in many senses yeah. you know one of the things that gets that gets bypassed is when Jurgen Klopp does his press conference after they sign Kabak and Davis one of the things he says about Reese Williams is that it's really important that he goes back to playing under 23 football yeah, he effectively he effectively said there and then, didn't he? Not and it's not a oh he's not good enough. I'm banishing him. He's never going to be used forevermore. It's a, he's not ready and yeah. actually putting him in prematurely 
I mean, you, you did see in the last few games for Reese Williams, I think the first sign of it was Carlin Grant at Anfield ran past him and you think, oh, he's been caught out positionally there. You know he's not really quite got the legs. Whether he physically is still yet to mature and actually can discover more pace or more acceleration, maybe it is, that he needs, time will tell. But it's not fair for actually the confidence and the blow that you could do to a young player putting them in. It's like you think if Liverpool get into the quarterfinals in a second leg, maybe playing Bayern Munich and the second legs back at Anfield, they've lost 2-1 away maybe in the Allianz Arena. This is all hypothetical. But you're chasing a game and... Cater's still not about. Tiago then goes down. Milner's already out, and you have to throw on one of these young lads, and they then are positionally caught on the ball or lose it, and all of a sudden Liverpool concede a, a tie-ending goal. You don't know what damage that could have for a player. It's it's great for them to be in and around the matchday squads, training before the games and everything, but actually it's about that timing of of getting them into the squad at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another another young player out there for Liverpool last night, Joel Ozan Kabak. So forget how young he actually is now. Um, I, I suspect that notion will be furthered with the amount of responsibility that that continues to grow on him. But it was a really encouraging performance from Kabak last night, and you know it's no bad thing that that Ozan Kabak just does a centre half job in sort of a seven out of ten manner for the next however long he's in the Liverpool side, um, be that this season or beyond. He's he's someone who I think he got the game that he, he probably deserved against Leicester last night and that he'd done everything he needed to right. Um was was basic but competent and, and polished in everything he'd done. Um and I think, you know, for for the only a second Liverpool performance to to walk away with a man of the match award, which I think he got from somewhere, which you know, that'll do him no harm at all going going into the derby on Saturday. Yeah, I, I felt sorry for him on his debut, really, because I, I got to around the 75-minute mark, at which point Liverpool looked to be cruising towards a 1-0 win. And I was about to write in my post-match piece how he'd, he'd not done anything spectacular. He hadn't had loads of defending to do, but he'd been fine. He'd got through his debut and helped the, the team keep a clean sheet and get a really valuable three points. And then in the space of seven minutes, he's at fault for well, certainly at least one goal. I, I would say Alisson was more at fault for that one. We could debate that, but... He was there at the scene of a crime. The third goal as well, he's not great for, although there are sort of four or five players out of position. Um, but it's him who's tracking back and, and can't quite get there. And they conceded three goals and lost in spectacular fashion. And all of a sudden, because of the pressure he's come in under, because of his whole centre-back situation and all the hope and expectation that he'll kind of significantly ease that problem, his, his early performances, as harsh as it is, were always going to, come under the microscope basically because he's, he's got what is essentially a half season trial to see whether he's going to be a long-term Liverpool player so from the off he was always going to be scrutinized more than most um so it was it was really disappointing that having been fine for more than three quarters of his debut he comes off the back of a really harsh defeat in which he's under the spotlight um so I think going into that one there was a lot of pressure on him against Leipzig and yeah I, I agree I think Again, didn't have absolutely loads of, of defending uh, in terms of backs to the wall stuff to do, but just in, in terms of doing the basics, he steps out quite nicely at the right times, um, kind of quite front-footed in the right moments. I know he gets the yellow card. He's a little bit rash in the second half, but generally I thought he was really confident. Doesn't try to take lots of unnecessary risks on the ball yet, which I quite liked. There was a few, I thought he actually grew in confidence as the game wore on. There was a couple of passes that he did that were sort of between the lines straight into the forwards, which were nice. Um, bringing the ball out himself a few times, relatively strong in the air from what you could see. Um, 
I think you mentioned this morning, we were doing our morning call, but I think the team helped him quite a lot, especially Trent on that right-hand side, always making himself available as an easy option to pass to. Um, and yeah, if you're watching that game without any sort of prior knowledge of who he was, where he'd come from, his background or anything, you wouldn't be looking at it thinking he'd only been training for a couple of weeks at Liverpool. He's only 20. I think he's played once or he's had one Champions League campaign before a few seasons ago um, for Galatasaray, I think it was. Um, but he certainly looked better than Upa Meccano last night. And I'm not saying that the kind of he's a better player necessarily. Upa Meccano's obviously got quality. If you're just watching that match and you're picking which centre-back you'd rather have, I thought he, he did everything you could ask. And I think going forward now, um, I think we've got to also kind of put it into context. He's come into a Liverpool team off the back of a season in which he was used to getting hammered every single week for Schalke. I think they lost 8-0 in the first game of the season in which he played. Um, so that's what he's come from, a team that were destined for relegation. He's also not just walked into a Liverpool team where he's slotting in alongside Matip or Van Dijk and it's a, a fully functioning Liverpool team. He's come into the team at their lowest point, really, for years under Klopp. Um, and he's not playing next to actual centre-backs. He's playing next to midfielders are doing their best out of position to try and make it work. So all the circumstances around it are basically as difficult as they could be for a 20-year-old kid um, coming to a new country, new environment. Um, so I think, yeah, to kind of put the Leicester game behind him and and walk away with, as you said, man of a match and a clean sheet last night is, is a really good boost for his confidence moving forward. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Thought the other, I mean, thought the other standout performer around the back four was was Trent Alexander-Arnold. Guy, I think he's, he's quietly had two very good games, and it, it looks almost to me like Liverpool have maybe worked on him and worked on him being pivotal to their game plan in, in the last two games. You know, there's he's come up against two real tricky kinds of players in in Angelino and and uh, Harvey Barnes, and and either time he's he's completely committed at times to sort of playing the other side of them. He's He's tucking him when he needs to, but it all feels very specific with Trent at the moment. And I think you see him for for 20 minutes in that first half last night, how he just decides he's going to dictate the tempo and he, he just decides that with one touch, he can get Liverpool on the front foot. And and he's when he's in that vein of form, you know, it's it's a, another reminder again that Liverpool have got someone who is literally running games from, from full-back for them. No, definitely. I think we obviously saw that so much last season, but I think that's going to be one of the big things this season for Trent. Actually, is learning to learning to sort of take responsibility. Really, when when the chips are down, we saw last season him, him running games when things were going well, and that's all well and good if if you've got that foundation behind him and you can sort of set the game out to then get your playmaker in the game. That's brilliant. But I think the thing for Trent this season, one of the big learning curves, will be actually stepping up and and taking that responsibility himself and setting the the initiative for the team really and as you say commanding the ball commanding sort of the game to play around him as opposed to having the game set up for him to to then sort of take control of it and i think it's i think it is one of the big things i think whilst obviously liverpool have been decimated at center half throughout this the course of this whole season and i think maybe one of the the big things to come out of the city game really was actually the the other senior players, I know Trent's still only young, but he's he is the out and out 
right back he's the, the playmaker of the team I think it's the responsibility that those other senior players need to definitely step up and take obviously Allison's made a few errors but was brilliant again last night Trent was beaten a couple of times by Sterling obviously the the um, the penalty that was given at Gundogan but over the bar Sterling's uh, from a standing start beat Trent and then come up against Fabinho and then again for one of the goals later on in the game I think it was the opening goal actually that Gundogan got after Allison had made that parry but even against Leicester as well he sort of seemingly was one of the guys who was hurting from the form that Liverpool have been in and has kind of sort of looked at it now and gone no the buck stops now the buck stops with me I want to be Liverpool captain in the future. I'm sure he probably will be. It's time now to sort of show those leadership qualities. And I think certainly last night, actually, he did do that. And he really did sort of step up even during that sort of first 20 minutes, maybe where Leipzig really were throwing everything at Liverpool. He didn't, sometimes you've seen him sort of go cavalier and go, right, I need to get up the pitch. And it wasn't one of those. It was like what you said. It was actually tuck in, do my defending, earn the rights of players. We said at the beginning of this podcast. And then from there, he, like Liverpool, really grew into the game and dominated it. Yeah, Joel. I mean, you've been a you've been a massive advocate of Trent throughout you know our time at Liverpool.com. And how how enthused have you been by the recent performances? Because it, it probably has been the first real test of him in terms of a dip in form as a, as a player in Liverpool's first team. Are you enthused by the last couple of games in which he does like Guy says he seems to have taken on that responsibility for the for this for the the team and himself. Very much so. I'd actually almost go a little bit further back than the Leicester game. And I think it, it kind of gets discarded because Liverpool's results and the general performances were so bad um, for a time. But I think I think it was the United's, the FA Cup defeat. Um, and obviously they lose 3-2. But I remember pinpointing that game as one when Trent, he'd come off the back of a, a dreadful run of form, really, where he'd just been he'd so below par for such a long time. And he looked so much more like himself that day. And I know Liverpool conceded the three goals and disappointing the way they went out to the late free kick. But I thought from then on, he looked like he turned a little bit of a corner. Then he gets the goal against Tottenham, which I think was a massive moment for him. Um, his first goal this season, actually, which I know you don't sort of judge fullbacks by goals, but I think he, he got four or five last season. He's a player who kind of expects end product of himself. So I think that was a big moment for him. And we referenced the City game there and the Sterling one. And I think what's interesting about that game, again, doing my notes during the match because I was covering it for us, I actually thought he played quite well up against Sterling for about like 90% of the game. I think if you if you watch the individual battles every time he came up one-on-one, -on -one, say it happened 10 times over the course of the match, I'm pretty sure he came out on top seven or eight times out of 10, which up against a player of Sterling's quality is pretty good going if you're getting left one-on-one -on -one to do kind of deal with him. Um, and at the times that he does get bypassed, one leads to a penalty and the other one leads to the opening goal. So everybody looked at it and says Trent's had a terrible game and he wasn't good enough for the one that led to the opening goal. He just got walked past basically, but that was actually, I felt like a bit of an anomaly um, in terms of how he'd actually dealt with him throughout the match. Um, and yeah, since then Leicester, I thought he, he was brilliant, especially in the first half at times he was rampaging forwards um, similar to kind of how he did in the Leicester away game last season, which I think probably remains his best game ever for Liverpool. Um, and yeah, he just is, he almost looks like he's got an extra kind of gear of speed in the last couple of games, which just wasn't there a few weeks ago. Um, time sort of in early January, um, where it looked like he was just running through kind of quicksand, like his legs just weren't moving as quickly as you'd expect. His body language, I also thought, was a little bit sort of 
downbeat um more so even than the rest of the team it just looked like he wasn't really enjoying his football and if anything i think that's probably been the most encouraging aspects of the last couple of games um even besides how well he played it's just the fact that he looks like he's having fun again um and he's playing with confidence and i think if he can carry that forwards um into his last was it four months of the season now um even less than that yeah it will make such a huge difference because as we know we spoke about countless times if Liverpool play well or if Trent plays well, those two things kind of go hand in hand because he is so pivotal to how the system works. Uh, a, a big game at the weekend, Guy, and, and I guess in that respect, a, a big game tonight for Liverpool to keep an eye on. I, I think it's, I don't think it's unfair to say Liverpool should be keeping an eye on what happens tonight because I'm I'm quietly intrigued what both managers do on Saturday. Um, I think that there's, I think there's a possibility Liverpool may change the side a little bit to, to counter Everton's height and an aerial threat. But you know, if if Carlo Ancelotti is he's got a decision to make in in the, in in as much as mentality as anything, you know, we know Dominic Calvert Lewin won't make Everton's game at Manchester City tonight. But it's not as if you at this level you're a manager who can say to your team, "Well, do us a favour, lads." go sort of 30% off tonight and we go 130 on Saturday. You cannot do that. You know, you've got to you've got to apply yourself to the fixture. And I don't know whether there's any advantage there to be had for Liverpool that, that Everton play, you know, a, a night after, if you like, and, and they're up against City. You, you would imagine would have the lion's share of possession in a match. But it is an intriguing one, isn't it, going into the weekend? Yeah, definitely. I might be overthinking it already, but I think Carlo has already set his stall out. I think even going back to... The Fulham game at the weekend, the one thing looking at Everton and keeping an eye on them over recent weeks is Michael Keane and Yerry Mina seem to have actually formed quite a, a decent partnership for them defensively. And all of a sudden against Fulham, both of them were rested. Now, I think that's maybe, I know centre-backs don't get through an awful lot of work, but maybe that was a thinking of, well, with Man City and Liverpool both coming up, are these players going to be able to keep going midweek, weekend, midweek? Uh, midweek weekend for sort of two or three weeks so if I pull them out against Fulham I can play them in both games against Manchester City and Liverpool Calvert-Lewin on on Friday in the press conference Carlo Angelotti said he will be fit for Manchester City he's now said he's a day away and for me that's uh we're gonna just wrap him up in in bubble wrap yeah. and make sure that we can put him out in the derbies I wouldn't say he's caused Liverpool problems in the past but he got that penalty didn't he what was that 2016-17 season um Wayne oh, Rooney Puts away, yeah, the the one that Jurgen Klopp felt as though he was basically brushed by uh, Dejan Lovren, I think it was. But um, yeah, he's got that mobility in behind as well as that aerial prowess. And I'm fascinated actually to see what Liverpool do at centre-half. I know you guys have been speaking there about Ozan Kabak and I thought he's acquitted himself well so far, but I think it's all within the context and you've got to remember he's a 20-year-old. I thought there was a couple of times against Leipzig where he needed to just be reined in a little bit. There was a first half challenge where he went through the back of Danny Olmo when he didn't really need to commit that challenge. It was kind of a, I'm putting a marker down here to show what I'm about. Um, and then there was a, where he's obviously come from playing at Schalke, who I'm sure, I don't watch them, but I'm sure they play a much more contained system and have a lot more defending to do. There was a, a bit where he was out on the right flank with the ball in a what seemed like an alien position to him. And rather than just hit a channel ball, even if it went out of play, he got caught on the ball, went out for a throw, didn't stop the quick throw. Leipzig nearly got in and Jordan Henderson had to have a crossword with him then just to say, look, keep your concentration. And I don't know if it's if it's the best practice to play Kabak now through the whole season 
And actually, a bit like what we were saying with Reese Williams, give him the rest here and there. Play him, play him in the games that you know you need to play him. And I think actually looking at Liverpool's centre-half situation now for the remainder of the season, if we just sort of take for granted that Gomez and Van Dijk aren't going to play, they may well do. But if, if you say they aren't going to, and Matic, you can't really count on. I think there's between Henderson, Fabinho, uh, Kabak and Davis, there's really sort of two primary centre-back partnerships that you'll have. You'll have Fabinho and Davis and Kabak and Henderson. I don't really see Kabak and Davis playing together. They may well do. And I think really it's going to need to be horses for courses as to more what Liverpool need in the midfield. If they need Fabinho back in the midfield for certain games, it can be um, Kabak and Henderson at the back. Or if they need Henderson in that midfield, really sort of driving things, then of course you can play Fabinho and Davis. But I, I do think it's going to be an interesting one. I know you're Asked me about Everton, but I've ended up there getting on to. Oh, it's, it's a valid one. It's a valid one. We, we spoke about centre backs this morning for the game, Joel, and and I said I wouldn't be averse to playing that Phillips if if Dominic Calvert Lewin plays, and the simple reason being, I think that Liverpool need as much height in the side as possible, and if that means that maybe you go Davis, Kabak, and then have Fabinho in at number six, then I think it's no bad thing because. The only other alternative, which you know, no one will want to hear, is that you start then looking towards playing Divock Origi. And Jurgen Klopp said previously, for example, when Takumi Minamino goes out, I need players at times who have height in certain situations. So if Calvert-Lewin plays, you're going to have him, Keane, Mina. You're going to face a lot of elbows and headers um, and you're going to face a lot of aerial bombardment and a lot of testing from set-piece situations. But, you know, I think... It, I think it's important and interesting to, to look at what what Ancelotti does also in terms of the system he plays. You know, I, I, if I was him, I'd be trying to get Godfrey on the pitch um, as much as I could. But then, you know, that probably means he has to play a three at the back. And then with that, you would expect Liverpool to overrun Everton in, in key areas. So it's it's a key tactical battle on both sides. And I don't think it's one in which it's a given that Liverpool just roll up the same side as as Tuesday on this one. I think it, it, it's every likelihood that they could do, but I think there might be a curveball thrown in somewhere. Yeah, I see I See your argument for playing Phillips uh, and getting height on the pitch. I think my worry with that would be, I think Kabat really benefits from having Henderson next to him at the moment, um, just in terms of experience to sort of guide him through, um, like Guy referenced there, when he is out of position or kind of does things that necessarily he shouldn't necessarily be doing. He's got someone in his ear telling him kind of where he needs to be, what he should be doing. And I think having that steady presence there, I would feel much more nervous watching Kabak alongside Nat Phillips, who, as well as he has done when he's been asked to step up this season, has played, I think, less than 10 games for Liverpool now. Um, and as well, I think that the trade-off, yes, you'd be getting more height on the pitch, which would help sort of defending set pieces and crosses against Everton. But in terms of, I mean, we've spoken before about the, the importance of a centre-back to how Liverpool build attacks from the back. If you're suddenly going Nat Phillips and Kabak, that in terms of their ability on the ball, you're suddenly an awful lot more restricted than if you've got Henderson there, who I think has almost been playing kind of two positions at once in the last few games. Against, I actually thought he was another one against Leicester up until the point where it goes so badly wrong. Henderson is one of his best performances of the season at centre-back. He's he's basically playing the number six role and centre-back at the same time. I mentioned his balls over the top, the Salah before, the diagonals. Um, they're definitely... I mean, Lovren actually does that pass against Everton last season um, for the second Origi goal at Anfield, I think it was. 
and I think you, we will get sort of chances there. So I think I'd almost rather hedge my bets and just keep Henderson with Kabak, build off a clean sheet they got against Leipzig and trust that the kind of the value you get with Henderson on the ball in that position uh, is, is almost worth a, worth a trade-off of not having quite the aerial presence. As for Everton and, and how they approach it, I think probably what you'll see is Anschotti try and do pretty much what Brighton, Burnley, Southampton, all of these teams have done against Liverpool recently, which is sit in, let Liverpool have the ball and basically be patient and wait for a mistake or a set piece um, and not really overcommit um, because I think that's that, that's where they will get torn apart if they try to. So I'm not expecting it to be a sort of frantic, open 5-2 game like the previous one at Anfield. I think it will be quite sort of... The emphasis will be on Liverpool. I think they'll probably have 60-plus percent possession and it's whether they can get the breakthrough. I think it is getting themselves to 1-0, um, which is the big thing. If they can get that first goal, you can easily see a scenario where they just ease into it like they did against Leipzig and, and really start to dominate and express themselves. I think the longer it stays at 0-0, as, as much as Liverpool might appear in control, Everton will always feel like they've got a chance if they can just get a corner or a free kick at some point. I might be completely wrong here myself, but I would... I would rip it. I would. I would rip it up. Rip up the template from midweek and go with something fresh. I know Klopp has been bold in the derby before. Of course, he was last year ahead of the the five two, making as many changes as he did. And looking at Everton and how they played at Old Trafford recently, they went there, played the the split strikers with uh, Richarlison and Calvert Lewin. And yes, they are a side who are very very good from set pieces and have that aerial physicality and approach like that but they do have that mobility at the top end of the pitch and for me personally thinking if they're going to come and play on the counter like so many times have so many teams have recently against Liverpool at Anfield I think it's vital that you get Henderson into that midfield right hand side of the midfield role you can get that Trent Henderson and Salah partnership going we've seen Salah's been just unbelievable during even this dip in form Liverpool coming into it obviously three home defeats in a row and with no crowd there I think Liverpool need energizing and I think no one quite energizes them like Jordan Henderson in that midfield he does a brilliant job at centre half but I think that role that he offers in the midfield could be absolutely vital and it, it, it all obviously depends on Fabinho if Fabinho's fit personally for me I'd play uh, Fabinho and Davis um is the two centre-halves. Uh, Fabinho has obviously been playing there the whole time. I know Davis is yet to to feature, but thankfully I've had the the uh, a bit of the opportunity to watch him a lot during his time at Preston North End. And he's a quick defender across the ground. He's very good at covering in. He's very good at sort of getting moves started and distributing from deep. And I know it would be a bold call to make for Jurgen Klopp, but he's not adverse to making these kind of calls before. And as I say, I just think what Henderson offers in that midfield tucked in on that right-hand side role. I always remember Bournemouth away last year where he could just drop deep and just shoot those balls over the top for someone like Sadio Mane, breaking down low blocks. Um, I think that could really be uh, a key tool in in Liverpool's arsenal. He was great playing there at Goodison earlier this season, actually. It's the, the one time we've seen that the Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago midfield and, yeah, that, that attacking right-sided role. Um, I wouldn't do it guy but I, I see yeah no I, I, see I don't think it will happen I was going to say I, I wouldn't I'd look forward to Twitter when that team news drops um, <laughs> <laughs> well I get the points I mean there's, there's the 5-2 the in which I just had a quick anecdote on the 5-2 last season everybody was losing their minds and not to be that guy but I was literally saying this is the best thing we could have done because I'd watched Everton against Leicester on the Sunday and they got absolutely legged for 94 minutes. 
they'd put absolute hearts and soul into the game against Leicester. And I knew they were knackered. And they they'd name literally the same side and didn't have anyone on the bench that they could they could move with. I thought it was yeah, I was literally fighting with people on the way into the ground to say this is this is Liverpool doing the right thing. No, I remember I remember in the office actually the day before, like the day before you were saying oh Klopp's gonna make five or six changes and I was thinking yeah. he's not he's not gonna make five or six changes. He did and he obviously paid off. Yeah, yeah. Indeed, we'll see. It's an interesting one. But for now, we'll leave it there. So a huge thanks to Joel and a huge thanks to Guy for a very 7 out of 10 debut. <laughs> we expect nothing else. Uh, M-O-M. Um, <laughs> cheers, mate. Uh, we'll catch you all next week. Take care. Speak soon. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.